Today's episode is sponsored by Plum Deluxe. Love trying new teas? Treat yourself to a Plum Deluxe Tea of the Month subscription. For only $10 a month, you'll receive a hand-blended, all-organic, loose-leaf tea thoughtfully chosen for the season. Tea Club members also enjoy special benefits like discounts, free shipping on all purchases, and access to a very loving and supportive tea community. A tea subscription also makes a fantastic gift. Visit plumdeluxe.com slash tea and join now. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 93 of the While She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building a quilting software business with my guests, Dean Newman and Penny McMorris, co-founders of Electric Quilt. Dean and Penny are both from Wisconsin originally. After the Air Force and then graduate school, Dean was a professor of mathematics at Bowling Green State University for 25 years. He received a hand-me-down computer from his son in the late 1980s and quickly became a self-taught computer programmer just for fun. His wife, Penny McMorris, was the corporate art curator for Owens Corning Corporation, headquartered in Toledo, Ohio. Penny was a self-taught quilt maker. She taught a few local classes and then talked her local PBS station, WBGU-TV, into letting her produce and host a television series showing quilt history and the best contemporary quilts of that time. When Penny's travels for her job and the TV show took over, Dean became interested in quilts and was motivated to find an enterprise that they could do together. He was the brainstorm behind the idea of creating a software that would allow quilters to pre-plan their designs. The result was the first electric quilt or EQ program in 1992. They both eventually left their jobs to run the company full-time, and 26 years later, they continue to own and operate the electric quilt company in Bowling Green, Ohio. These days, Penny's spending much more time away from the office, enjoying various activities, while Dean continues to be in the office several days a week. Dean Newman and Penny McMorris, welcome. Hi, Abby. Hi, Abby. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for coming on the show and um, agreeing to talk a little bit about the history of the company and, and where you're headed. I'm really excited to, to hear more about your story. So Sounds like you've done your homework, though, too. <laughs> I hope so. I try. Um, so I read something, Dean, that you had said about sort of the function of electric quilt um, that I thought would be a good way to kick things off. So you said some people can see a design in their mind's eye before they cut the fabric, but for everyone else, a quilt program ought to be a terrific tool. And I wondered whether you could sort of just tell us what electric quilt does. Well, it, yeah, the idea is that it gives people the ability to see what their quilt's going to look like as exactly as possible uh, before they ever start to cut any fabric. And indeed, we've gotten closer and closer to that goal as time went along. In the beginning, it was a DOS program, and there was no real graphic support coming from the operating system. So it was very crude, but but as time went on, um, Windows got better and better at providing real pictures of what the quote was going to look like. So, So I think now... It is quite possible for someone to see exactly what, what their quilt's going to look like before they cut any fabric. 
And can you tell us like, and right now we're on UQ7, which is the seventh version of this um, software program, but can you kind of tell us a little bit about what a person today, like a current user, what kind of features they get in EQ7? Uh, well, you can draw your own blocks, which is a very useful feature. There are several different drawing styles in the program. Piece blocks are very popular among quilt makers, especially when you make a block that can be paper pieced, because that makes the construction process very easy. And you can draw blocks specifically designed for paper piecing. Um, and you, there are algorithms in the program that, that essentially automate this for you. So one of the beginning aspects of it is, as you can draw your own blocks, and then once you've got blocks drawn, you can actually fill the patches in the block with real fabrics. We get fabrics from all the different fabric manufacturers, and they're included in the program. And as new fabrics become available in the market, they can be downloaded by the by the user. In other words, the user can put her own fabrics into the program, and then the blocks can be can be filled with with uh, those fabrics. And then finally, the blocks that you design and, and fill with fabrics can be put into quilts in many different styles. And so you can actually make a quilt that will look exactly like what your quilt will look like if it's finished using the patterns printed from the electric quilt. And yardage? And it calculates yardage, which is, a, you know, an aspect of things that quilters don't like to do because it's all arithmetic. But computers are great at it, so... Right. Okay, great. I think that that gives a good summary understanding because I'm sure many listeners have used EQ software, but some might not have. And so I wanted just to make sure everybody sort of knew what it was that we were talking about and what this software is capable of and how people use it and why they really like it just to start off with. So now I want to go back a little bit, if we could, and trace the development of the company itself. So, Dean, you were the math professor at Bowling Green. Do you remember what year it was when your son brought you that hand-me-down computer that was your first computer? Was that in the, it was late 80s? Yeah, it was very late 80s. You know, maybe 1990. Okay. Do you remember what kind of computer it was? Yeah, it was a, it was a IBM XT that's the computer I had. That was my first computer. Oh, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was a huge clunky thing yes. sitting on the desk, you know. <laughs> and, it, and it was DOS. I mean, there was no, mm-hmm. win, there was, Windows did not exist at that time. Right. That's right. And I know exactly what it looked like because I had it. It was in the basement yeah. of our house. Yeah. And, um, and so was it love at first sight? I mean, you were, obviously you've got a, a mathematical mind and um, a lot of people who, who have a mind like that really love computers, but, but not everybody does. So, I mean, did you sit down and say, Hey, like, wh- how can I play with this thing? Was that like right away? Yeah, it really was. I mean, mathematics is, is um, difficult and you can often work for a long time before you get anything worth publishing. The computer will light up almost immediately. And so it gives you back, you know, it's, it's kind of instant gratification, really. And so that difference kind of, you know, really sucks people into the computer if, if they get one. And so that's what happened to me. Plus, I was really interested in, in the designs. Penny was um, a, a quilt, not so much a quilt maker, but a 
quilt commentator. She she was a writer about quilts. She produced PBS programs about quilts. And so I got to see a lot of quilts. <laughs> and uh, ge- geometry is very interesting to a mathematician. And so that, that combination kind of kind of pulled me into doing that sort of thing. And were there other sorts of programs that you were creating or playing with before landing on Electric Quilt as an idea? I mean, were there other things that you were like, well, maybe I could create something for a different, you know, function, a different industry? Well, I did. I I, I wrote a um, tutorial for using C language, which was the language that I programmed in. And I was trying to distribute that as what they called shareware in those days. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was quite interested in that, but um, it really never went anyplace. And so it didn't take very long before I was kind of immersed in this. But you I told think. me you did that so that you would learn. Yeah, that was part of the reason. I, w- I, was trying to, I was trying to learn programming. And indeed, I dug into assembly language programming and some other some other kind of esoteric things, you know, that that probably most people wouldn't have the slightest interest in. Um, and I guess I'm kind of glad that that uh, quilt design came along because it's a much it's a much more fun aspect of computing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. So and so, Penny, you you know, this was sort of like the perfect um, coupling here because we have somebody who is really interested in computer programming in the very early days of you know when that was possible at home for people to do as home users, yeah. and then somebody who is really interested in quilts and quilts as art and and what's going on in sort of this burgeoning quilting community and interest in quilts that came about in the maybe late seventies and in early. 80s. So, um, so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about sort of your career prior to Electric Quilt and how you came to be interested in quilts. Um, I was young <laughs> way back then when there was no interest in quilts. And then all of a sudden, largely from England during the swinging 60s and in New York, when Jonathan Holstein began showing his collection of Amish quilts and uh, had an exhibition, the Peace Quilt, that went really around the world for four years. The magazines, um, here I was in Ohio, kind of away from everything in a little town. And I was in Milwaukee before then. And I wanted to know what was going on in the rest of the world. I had always wanted to live in a big city and I I wasn't. So I would read about quilts and there were very few quilt books then. In fact, I remember if I would ever find a book that was published, I would buy it and you could buy every single book, which is amazing because there would be like two books a year. It just was starting to be interesting. And so Beth Gutchen had a book, The Perfect Patchwork Primer, that some people will remember. And that was a way of kind of self-teaching how to do it. And I just became very interested in it because of the designs. Then when we moved to Bowling Green, I wanted to have an exhibition of quilts. This was 1974 and 75 I was working on this simply because I wanted to see what other young people 
were doing, young people meaning people of my then age versus older women who were making very traditional 1940s, 50s quilts. And so I organized an exhibition that was quilts made in Ohio by anyone over the previous five years. And in so doing that, I was still making quilts, but I saw quilts by people that were just blew me away in a way that I, I thought, I'm not that interested myself in making quilts, but I really love quilts by Nancy Crow and Francoise Barnes. And there were about five younger people in addition to, we had some group made bicentennial quilts and some older style quilts, which were very beautiful. But I think especially Nancy Crow's quilts blew me away. And from then on, I was really more of a quilt historian, um, lectured about contemporary quilts, showing people that these are wonderful pieces of art that are being made. And so all of that was prior to it. I was working at Owens Corning as their art curator. We did, along with buying contemporary art, um, I did talk them into several quilts and they bought a quilt by Michael James which they hung and it looked gorgeous. And I was just very interested in having other people see quilts as a legitimate art form. Mm -hmm. And then you pitched this idea for these PBS series, and I think they were called Quilting and then Quilting 2. Is that right? Yes. The first two. Um, And so had you wanted to you know, be a a PBS star? I mean, was that something that you had aspired? Like, I want to be on TV? Or was this really just about getting this recognition for what quilts could be? It was really that. It was, I had taught a couple of classes and you can tell you're not a natural teacher when you're not really that excited about the quilts that people who've never made a quilt before make for the first time. They're just not that exciting to me. And I have tons of friends who are fabulous teachers and they get very excited because it's about the idea of teaching. So I think I taught a couple classes here and I found what I really like to do was show the students slides of Nancy Crow's quilts and quilters all over that I was collecting. It was really interesting, Abby, because way back then, There were so few people making quilts that were of our generation that you could just call them up. And I remember I did. I'd call up Michael James, get his number from information and say, hi, my name is Penny McMorris and I make quilts too. And he'd say, really? Let's trade slides. And so I had quite a collection of slides. So it was really that I wanted to show other people what was going on. So each segment I did a little how-to, but that to me was like, okay, let's get over the how to make it stuff. And we can have guests come on and we can have guest demonstrators and we can show their wonderful quilts. And so WBGU did a, a fabulous job. They would, we traveled all over the country to museums and to talk to quilt makers all over. And it was a really fun 
thing to do, but I got such pleasure in the showing. It wasn't about me. I'm, I'm much more introverted. It was about them. And it was great. It was fun. And I'm imagining that it also helped you to connect with the people who were, you know, doing this kind of work all over mm-hmm. the country. And so, and it also, I mean, no matter what, you end up getting established as an authority of sorts because there you are talking about it on, on TV. And so people yeah. look to you, you know, so it helped maybe to um, position you as somebody who knew what, what they were talking about and who was really keenly interested in this. Yeah, I, I think it did. And and it was at that time, right time, right place, because there was just so little of it. And there were so many wonderful people making quilts. And interestingly, quite a few like Terry Mangott from Ohio and Nancy Crow and um, many other people. And then you had a third show a little bit later, The Great American Quilt, which was really focusing on the more contemporary, maybe style of quilts. Mm -hmm. That was 10 years later. So by then, there were lots more people. I began to not differentiate as much between what's traditional and what's an art quilt, because it all blends. And I would have a very hard time differentiating between the two and and the techniques were um the quilts were better technically which was never the part that interested me but they were also aesthetically so good i remember dean and i went to uh nqa show way 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 back it was in ohio and i just breezed through there because Although the quilts were technically beautiful, I didn't find them very aesthetically exciting. And now they're just like mind-blowing quilts all over the place. And they don't need to be categorized, Mm -hmm. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. Okay, so we have the two of you with your, your very different interests and you come together and I'm interested in thinking about how this software really got started. So um, Dean, it sounds like that was that was your idea initially that, hey, I could, I could turn sort of Penny's love of quilting into something that we could do on the computer. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, really, I, I worked at, you know, making a, a computer quilt design program in a DOS environment for a couple of years before we ever got to try to go public with it. And it was just fun. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it, and indeed all along, you know, it's really been driven by um, the kind of fun of it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's a really important thing to keep a company going is just enjoying it. And so that was 1989. And it it sounds like it took about two years for you to sort of get something together that maybe could be used by other people. And Penny, you helped launch Electric Quilt by demonstrating it on the PBS show in 91. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere, Dean, that you were actually under the table with a keyboard during that demonstration. Is that accurate? (laughs) He had been up all night before making it do things. And although I think a lot of people feel like I would have been at his shoulder telling him, well, quilters would like it to do this and you should let it 
make it do this. I had nothing to do. I had never seen what he was working on. He did it all himself. And so I was not even using a computer then. I had no idea. But I knew there were beginning to be people using technology. And we had a show about people using technology for quilt making. And so he'd been up. He had just made it able to fill a grid with blocks. And so I hadn't even seen it. I had no idea. (laughs) And I walked to the computer. I smiled into the camera, and it you was. You do edited. a great job. I, I will post the. Um, I will post the link to the to the uh, uh, video so people can watch it, and it's on the Electrical website as well. But you do such a convincing job oh, that before I read this, I really did not realize it wasn't. It's all you. fakery. It's all <laughs> fakery. And then, and then afterward, when all the movement was him doing it, but you never saw him and you saw my hands and then the camera, of course, come back to me. And I think I said something about, see, wasn't that easy. (laughs) (laughs) And in the real show, the only time you see Dean is at the very end, the camera pulls way, way back for an overhead shot. And you can see Dean kind of walking, but no one would know. They would think he was a stagehand. Mm-hmm. Trying to stretch out my legs after crawling under that table. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I want to take a minute now to tell you a bit more about our sponsor, Plum Deluxe. Plum Deluxe is a really excellent loose leaf tea company. Every blend is handmade with so much thought and care. Plum Deluxe was founded by Andy Hayes, and Andy believes in creating moments that matter, and he does that through tea. Based in the Pacific Northwest, Plum Deluxe sources all of the individual ingredients and then blends them together to make unique tea recipes. The teas are organic and fair trade and are made fresh every week. I got a Plum Deluxe tea subscription for my birthday this August from my sister, and all through the fall, I looked forward to receiving a delicious tea in the mail every month. It was such a great gift. And I actually ended up giving a Plum Deluxe tea subscription to my good friend, Leah, for Christmas this year, too. Plum Deluxe has one of the few tea subscriptions with a caffeine-free option, which is really nice. And they've recently doubled the number of a la carte teas that are for sale in their online shop. So if you try something and you love it, you can actually go on their shop and get more of that exact tea that you love. And Tea Club members get free shipping. So that's an awesome deal. Andy has a great business at Plum Deluxe, and I really love to support him and to receive awesome teas in the mail. So I hope you'll give them a try at plumdeluxe.com. And now back to my conversation with Penny and Dean. <laughs> so, so it sounds like you were, you know, you were pulling it together literally the night before and um, and was it really ready for prime time? I mean, was it was the was the software actually usable by other people yet, or was it really kind of a, in the demo stage? <laughs> no, it wasn't finished. It took another year. So, were people interested who saw the program? I mean, who saw the TV episode? Did yeah. they write in, or I mean, how did you know? that it wasn't just the two of you who thought this was a good idea. They called and they wrote the station because they wanted to know about that 
computer program that you showed on your program. And so the station would pass along their name and address. They took, that was very nice of the station. They took the name and address and I just saved them on little cards and put them in a shoebox. And my daughter was home. She was a high school senior at that time, my older daughter. And she said she was moving to San Francisco and that she would leave when the shoebox was full. So believe it or not, we did fill a whole shoebox with names and addresses because there was no email back then. There was no easy way. So we just collected them all. And then when it was finally ready, we sent them all a little brochure. And it is so fun because so many of those original, what it was called EQ, Electric Quilt, not one back then. It was just the original, but we now call it EQ1. So many of those users are still with us, bless their hearts. I mean, they, and they take great pride in it. And I'm just so amazed that they've been with us for 25, 26 years. Yeah, that is amazing that they've they've stuck around this whole time and seen it change from a, a DOS program that didn't even have a mouse that you would use the arrow keys to draw to what it is today. You know, that says a lot that they're still using it and, and loved the idea of it so much from the beginning. I also think it says a lot about them because they were very early quilt yeah. makers and they're still doing it. And again, it amazes me. Yeah, right. They were both early adopters of technology and early quilt makers in the sort of modern era of quilt making. Yeah, well the new said. era. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. So when you did send them the brochures and they placed an order, you were mailing out floppy disks? Yes, we were. Um, <laughs> yeah, five and a quarter inch floppies. <laughs> <laughs> we had a binder. I think we were basing it at, I was working at Owens Corning then, and I looked at what they did. They had binders that fit into a slip cover. So that's where we went. We had a loose leaf user manual that we had written, and that went into a gray binder with electric quilt and the logo printed on it. And that slipped into a notebook and into the binder. So we were mailing that out to people very downtown basement yeah it looked it looked snazzy as i remember it <laughs> cost a four i bet I, I bet both to print all of that and then to ship it all too that's yeah, yeah that's a significant investment and and how did you name the software electric quilt because i think it's a great name it, it reminds me my husband grew up in new london connecticut where electric boat is located right oh, nearby yeah. and it just reminds me of electric boat in that same way it's got this sort of nostalgic feel to it but also sort of i don't know it's it's just a great name and i just wondered how you arrived at it we were driving to chicago i think right and, i think so and just uh-huh. sort of chatting about it and i don't know it just it just came to me as a good idea. Yeah, like most names, you throw out all kinds of awful names, and then one just kind of clicks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, yeah, it settled pretty quickly. I remember my father always used to refer to quilts, as I'm sure a lot of people are used to this, as blankets. You yeah. know, like, oh, your blankets. And so we all thought of electric blanket. Oh, electric right. Quilt. 
Mm, I hadn't made that connection, but you're right. There is that connection too. Okay. So you were shipping out these floppy disks, but it sounds like you were both sort of still keeping your day job at that point. That's right. Yeah. I was working three days a week and Dean was teaching. Yeah. And I think a couple of years after we started that, I retired from the universities. Mm-hmm. So I did keep my day job for a couple of years. For a while. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. And then, and you were also doing all of this out of your home until you yeah. rented some space. And, and can you tell us what your space is like now, where, what, what it looks like, where you are right now? The world headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> it is the place people in Bowling Green know as the place they used to get their driver's license at. And so it is, it's really aesthetically, I could lie. I think humble hardly says it. I could really (laughs) lie. (laughs) But it's very functional for us because we've got lots of room and we have a warehouse, two warehouse spaces in back and a sewing studio. And upstairs we have a place where Dean and his assistant Anne are so that we are not too noisy on the phone for them when they're concentrating in their deep, deep programming things. <laughs> and um, it, it's a really good functional space that is probably by most standards pretty affordable because Bowling Green's a small town and we have good access for UPS pickup and really everything that you could need except um, aesthetically. It's <laughs> not a pretty place at all. Okay, but it works. And and how many people are employed by Electric Quilt now? Just curious. Mm, I think 10, 11. Okay, somewhere in there. I, just to give people a sense of the scale of the business as it stands uh-huh. now. Okay, so so we we have our, our original uh, electric quilt software, and then it's gone through a lot of versions since then. And along the way, you created Dean. You created something called Block Base, which was a computerized version of Barbara Brockman's Encyclopedia of Pieced Quilt Patterns. And I wondered what things you learned from focusing on that project for a little while that you were then able to take back to EQ. Actually, that was really great. It was very helpful in terms of developing EQ because it really stretched the the drawing tools. In order to we, you know to, to draw all those blocks, there's something like four thousand plus blocks in that encyclopedia, and so there are a lot of drawing challenges for the early program. Of course, you had to have a mouse in order to do those things, um, but many drawing methods were were actually the result of having to try to do the block-based blocks. And I, I always thought it was a wonderful resource for people because basically Barbara tried to get the entire history of the pieced quilt block in the U.S. So it was really quite a remarkable thing that she had done. And so we got to lean on that to make a new product, but in moreover, you know, to develop drawing tools that were up to it. Right. And then those tools then enhanced later versions of EQ. So it's interesting sometimes when we take on a different project, how we then come back to our own project with new, you know, a new, new insights. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk a little bit about the 3.0 version. By then you were faced with some competition in the marketplace. Other companies were popping up 
and had some similar ideas. And there was, it sounds like there was some pressure to convert from DOS to Windows. Windows was sort of becoming something that people desired and liked and and found to be user-friendly. And so I just wondered if you could take us back to that time and, and describe a little bit about what that was like when these competitors popped up. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm like the least competitive and you're taking me back to the dark <laughs> days. We had competitors that we, we were really good friends with and some we were not as good friends with. And it was difficult for me simply because... I like everyone to get along and I just can't stand competition. But Dean, you were working on, I mean, Abby's right, the pressure was on for you to develop a Windows program. And our users were, you know, kind of like demanding because it had been a while. And um, can you talk to that? I do look back on that decision to stay with DOS for EQ3 as as an error. Nevertheless, it at the time was very daunting to move into Windows. In fact, we actually hired two different companies to try to help us transform the program over into a DOS program. We hired an Indian company, Ashke Software, and then we hired a, a company named Building Block Software that was out on the East Coast someplace. And both of them spent quite a lot of time actually in transcribing the program into Windows. And basically, we got virtually zero out of it, all all that investment that we made in trying to get other companies to port the software over to Windows. And so we stuck with DOS for EQ3 because we had, you know, so much invested in it already. And then, then of course, you know, we just had to get down to work and, and learn how to program Windows. Right. Yeah. And I wondered why, I mean, what do you think it is? that helped Electric Quilt outlast everybody. I mean, I feel like now when I look at my, and I have lots of friends who are really avid quilters, professionals in the quilting industry, and they all use EQ7. I mean, it's like industry standard. And I just wondered what what you think it was that helped you outlast them and arrive at being in sort of the premier spot. Hard work. Yeah, I, I really think... I'm not a programmer at all, and so I don't, of course, understand it. But to mine, you know, I saw it's this sounds like brag, brag, and I don't mean it to, but Dean Lurie, he worked really hard and he never took an easy out that would be easier programming. I've asked him, well, why are you doing all that? Because, you know, I live with the guy, I would see him, <laughs> you know, just struggling and staying up. And, um, you know, working so hard and worrying about it. And it would take us often longer to get a new version out, you know, years. And I think he wanted it to do what he wanted it to do. And he would just keep at it. And I think that. And we also tried to listen to our users and really help them, it was very important to us that once you bought the program, that we help you use it because people are busy. They don't want to sit down every time and 
read an entire manual. And so if we're there to help them, it helps a lot. I think I think another aspect of it was it was a fortunate time for us and that we were both really able to retire from our day jobs and and then work pretty full time on on this project. Um, and I think some of the other people that were in the business didn't have that. Oh, that's really true. Yes. Mm-hmm. This became your passion and your full-time focus and that focus combined yes. with hard, hard work. And I also think that customer service point, Penny, that you were making is really important. And I know that that's been something that you've worked on in more recent years. And I, I wondered if you would talk a little bit about EQ's customer service and what your approach is to providing customer service to quilters, maybe new quilters who have just started using the software or quilters who are new to the software, and then those who maybe have been using it for a long time and have more complex questions. And, and how how do you think about and approach customer service? Well, I have always been interested in the other, whether it was the other quilt maker whose work I admired or... Um, I I like helping people. It's just the way, you know, we're all really different. And sometimes more introverted people like the focus being on someone else and helping. So from the very beginning, I was kind of the newsletter editor of our newsletter, the Floppy Gazette, and we'd have articles in there. It was a written, printed newsletter that we'd send out with the most frequently asked questions and answers to that. So we got pretty much an idea of what common questions, what were stumping people, and we would try to solve that in the next user manual, but it's a long time between versions. And I think that it's it's great with this newer technology because, of course, when we first had the program, there was no internet, there was no email, and people would actually physically write letters and we would write letters back to them. But that's so far from instant. And now it's been fascinating to see how things have changed. And now we can have videos on the web. We can instantly get answers back so back and forth, back and forth with email. It it just, it makes it much more easy for us to have stored answers where they can find the answers to their questions themselves. But one thing that's been fascinating to me, and I don't know if it's that all quilters are so nice, and I think they are, but I'm also a person that doesn't like conflict, doesn't like competition. So I don't like being yelled at over the phone. And I think every year, one person gets cranky. Seriously, you will not believe it. But every person that I ever talk to on the phone, I can only point to a handful that have gotten really snarky with me. Um, One woman um, in the middle of the talk, I finally said, I am trying to help you and you are not being very nice. And everybody in the in the office who heard me kind of like their eyes got real big, like what is happening? But but it makes it such a pleasure to help people when they're really truly they have a need and you're trying to help them and they're so sweet about it. So I can commend all quilt makers as being just 
fabulous people. And I think you can, I don't know if this happens in other industries, but it is easy to help people when they help you help them. And mm-hmm. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder what like the common objection is, you know, um, somebody who maybe walks into their local quilt shop and is just browsing and sees something about, you know, uh, EQ7 there or hears about it from somebody and sort of immediately is like, oh no, that's not for me. I wonder what sort of, when you dig in a little bit, what they worry about or what they immediately think they can't do, you know, with this. I think they worry about being able to use it. I think it seems daunting for people who haven't used a design program and they worry that they can use it. I remember the first thing that attracted me way back when I was not, um, I had never used a computer. Someone said there was the word processing program, WordPerfect. Yeah. And another woman said to me, well, that's what I use. I use WordPerfect. And I thought, oh, if she can do it, maybe I can do it. And I was very against trying because I thought, oh, it's just going to be way too hard. And I found it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I think they're intimidated. Yeah, but maybe that influence from a friend or from somebody who seems similar to you and seeing that they're able to do it gives you that confidence that, yes. okay, if she can do it and she's sort of similar to me, maybe I can do this too and, and I should try. And then exactly. knowing that help is out there and you've got great resources on the EQ site to help people who are beginning or who have more complex projects that they're working on. And so I want to talk a little bit about the software's future. And Dean, are you still doing all of the programming or did you, I know you have a Mac version now, EQ7 is also available on the Mac version, which is something that users want. It's similar to that DOS to Windows conversion. (laughs) Yes, they did. And did you have to, did you have to hire a company to help you with that? Because writing Mac software is completely different. Yeah. So yeah, actually that Mac version was a port that uh, was done by a company called Crossover. Uh, they actually have a commercial version too, but they'll take on a client and and convert the client software over to Macintosh. And so that's what we did with them. We also wrote an embroidery program based on the electric quilt, again, using a third-party Pulse Corporation to actually outfit EQ for doing embroidery. And then since that, um, we've hired a couple of programmers. One of the programmers is basically concentrating on on internet, and now we're able to download software and to take a lot of advantage of the internet, which seems to be where things are heading. Yeah, that's actually what I wanted to ask you about because it seems to me, looking at the future, and I don't know a ton about this field, but I I do follow it to a degree that sort of putting software in the cloud. And then having it as like sort of software as a service where people subscribe, like Adobe, for example, has a subscription. And then when you do want to make updates, it's something you can do more easily rather than waiting a long time and then releasing a whole entirely new version. And I just wondered if that's in the future for Electric Quilt or you're not sure yet or no way. Well, I think, no, that is in the future. We're actually moving in that direction. So right now we're a lot more 
able to do things on the internet than we have been in the past, and we continue to to move in that direction. As I said, we have a programmer that's devoted mainly to internet, and then we have another programmer who has been working on upgrading the interface elements of EQ. So our future is really going to be in the hands of a couple of new young programmers who are very good. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And, and what about an app? I mean, this seems like something maybe people would want to use on a tablet, for example. Is that at all something you're thinking about? Yeah, it's something that we have thought about and are thinking about. Um, to do the sorts of things, the electroquilt on a small framework like an iPhone or an iPad, very difficult. So it's something that could happen in the future. I hope it does, but, but we're not really there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine there's very particular challenges to doing it as an app because it is such a powerful program and there and it, you know, there has such good functionality that to be able to make it as an app would be hard. I think it, you know, a more likely scenario for an app for us would be something that took a piece of EQ and you know, gave gave the user uh, access to it. For example, possibly calculating yardage would be something that could be done as a separate piece. But we're still in the throes of, you know, thinking about those things and and we don't have a definite plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's okay. That's good to hear. And so, um, Dean, have you, have you ever made a quilt after all of these years? (laughs) Not even close. No. Even though you you love geometry and you love the software behind it, but but making the actual quilt is is not in the cards for you. It sounds like I, no, no, it really isn't. I do enjoy seeing the quilts, and I think some of the quilts that our users have designed and, and which they can see on our website now will actually blow you away. But no, I'm not going to make something out of fabric. <laughs> Little thimble fingers. <laughs> um, is there a particular designer? who stands out in your mind, who has been using EQ and really making things that are stunning? Is there, you know, is there one particular person who really stands out like, wow, she's really using this or he's really using this in a way that's amazing? Well, I think, you know, our, we have a number of teachers that that teach all over the country and, and, and do go to various quote shows. They're all really good. And so I admire them. We're actually picking up some new ones, too. So I hate to name one name, but... I I continually get impressed by a lot of the quilts in our quilt gallery on the Internet. They surprise me so much when I can look at them and I can't tell how they were designed. They know the program so well. And so I think of some of them and I can't think of nor do I really want to point out one particular one because there are just a lot out there. Mm-hmm. That's where I go to when I want to be impressed by the variety of mm-hmm. what can be done. And I know that both of you have children. Penny, you have two daughters and Dean, you have a son and a daughter. Are your kids at all involved or interested in the business? And do you see any of them as, as wanting to take over at some point? Um, speaking for myself, no, neither one of them would be interested in the business. My older daughter, Erin, is a fabric designer. And my younger daughter is a 
freelance writer and she has done some PR work for us. But as far as being involved in the business, no, they're both freelance. So they have their own businesses. Uh And my kids too. They're both, you know, they both have their own careers and they're working actively at them. And um, I don't know that they wouldn't be interested, but I think, you know, their interests are elsewhere at the moment. Right. So what do you think is going to happen when it's time for you to retire? I mean, do you feel like, are you going to sell it to the employees or how, how do you think the future is going to look? Uh, the, the employees are just going to continue running it. We have kind of two, two tiers, the oldsters and the youngsters. And we have, a, <laughs> we have a group of people much younger than us that are now more in touch with current trends and ideas and technology and they're full speed ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the youngsters are in fact really running the things right now. Yeah, they're running the business really and doing it very well. And do you have an estimate of how many users you currently have? How many EQ users there are out there? Um, hmm. I don't. Yeah, I... Um, I think the ballpark figure I have in my head is 60,000, 80,000 maybe users of this version. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's not a number that I that I worry about too much. Mm-hmm. And um, just can you tell people how much it costs? I mean, I think it's one of the things that some of the people listening might be thinking is, oh, well, I, I might want to you know try this out. But how much is it going to set me back? So will you tell us how much it costs to, to get started? Uh <laughs> I think the program is about 189. Okay. Um, if I can, I get a little help from outside here. Yeah, he did 189. <laughs> we're both we're both looking at each other. He looked at me and kind of like mouthed, and I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. <laughs> that is so stupid to have that a That sounds right to me. Well, no, I think I, I did look. Just went upstairs and get one. So I don't have to worry about it. I did look, and I think that sounds about yeah. right. So, all right. Great. And I, um, I wanted to, to make sure that we got to some of your recommendations because you, listeners to the show love to hear what people recommend and what they're enjoying right now. And so, Penny, it sounds like you are a photographer or at least as a hobby, enjoy photography. And you wanted to recommend the website Fujilove. Yeah, I have an older Leica digital and I have a new Fuji. X100T, which (laughs) I bought without knowing how to use. And there's a website called Fujilove that has videos of people explaining how to do things. The the camera is a very small camera, perfect for street photography, which is what I love is just shooting unusual things that you see when you're out it's not landscape photography. It's not portraits. It's just, I saw this. I really liked it. I saw a reflection in a window. I saw a face in a crowd that was very interesting, that kind of thing. So Fuji loves a great site for that kind of thing. And Dean, you wanted to recommend reading about particle physics, which is maybe not something that lots of listeners do, but tell us why that He's excites you. Like, He's a fun guy. What is it about? Well, well listen, my, my husband, my husband is, a, um, is really interested in the bond market. So I understand uh-huh. being married to a really fun guy. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I got interested in that because this 
the last few years, they've just made extraordinary advances. And then, you know, the this Higgs boson thing, they're really starting to understand the nature of the universe in the small. Um, so it's pretty fascinating. And it's been quite in the news um, because of the extraordinary advances that have been made. I, you know, when I got out of graduate school, I thought, you know, I finished my education. <laughs> Oh, he's getting emotional. So, well, so I must know everything. <laughs> right. But there's no way anybody knows everything. And, and it's, no, that's you know. just the beginning, you know. Right. Yeah. And believe it or not, he is a fun guy because we go on long walks together and he will tell me about what he's just read <laughs> as if he's teaching and it helps him remember. So just don't ask me, Abby, to <laughs> I'm always saying, is this on the test? <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, and 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 like you, I actually do know a lot about the bond market now because I have the same. Here you um, go. So can of... you give us some <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, no, I can't. I am gonna fail the test, but I do hear about it on a daily basis. Um, so, um, all right. So we're gonna do one more each. Um, Penny, you wanted to recommend the new Christopher Kimball magazine, Milk Street. Mm-hmm. I am home more, and so I actually have more time for cooking projects that involve time when you have to, like, baking bread, where you have to, you know, you start something at nine, and then you have to knead it at this time, and, you know, like taking care of a baby. So I like, Christopher Kimball came out of, he was actually... He resigned or was fired, maybe, from America Test Kitchen. Right. And he started his own magazine, which is also scientific. But I like that science behind Mm -hmm. the food. And it was kind of a pretty magazine. And I found all kinds of tips in the first issue. I got sent a free uh, one in the hopes that I would subscribe, and I did. And so... Many people might not have seen it, but I thought it was really good. I learned a lot. Excellent. Okay, great. And Dean, you wanted to recommend some apps that are helping you to sort of brush up on and study Chinese that um, you have on your (laughs) phone. Abby, I say, he's a fun guy. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's an app. I think the name is Pleco. It's P-L-E-C-O. It's a Chinese dictionary. And it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, because Chinese is is enormous. I mean, because it goes back so far. So so every one of those characters has hundreds of different uses and and a dictionary to tackle that. I mean, I, I'm just so impressed with these guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, P-L-E-C-O. Did you have a proverb you were going to uh, no, I didn't. try out? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get him to try to talk that's great. Well, um, that that's really good, and I think there are people out there who would enjoy um, checking that one out. So that's a, that's a really good recommendation. So so thank you for for all of those, and and Penny and Dean, thank you so much just in general for taking the time to be on the Walsh and Apps podcast. I love talking with both of you. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Abby. It was fun. It was like having a cup of coffee. Oh, good. <laughs> That's my goal. So you've been listening to the While She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, whileshenaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing and blogging and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And today's episode was sponsored by Plum Deluxe. 
Love trying new teas? Treat yourself to a Plum Deluxe Tea of the Month subscription. For only $10 a month, you'll receive a hand-blended, all-organic loose-leaf tea thoughtfully chosen for the season. Tea Club members also enjoy special benefits like discounts, free shipping on all purchases, and access to a very loving and supporting tea community. A tea subscription also makes a fantastic gift. So visit plumdeluxe.com slash tea and join now. Thank you so much, Plum Deluxe. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. 